This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elobo. And welcome. It's beautiful to be with you today, this Wednesday afternoon here as usual, just gone 10 past 2 on the Wednesday afternoon of this week, and that means that it's time for Judaism 101.9. We mentioned last week um, in our discussion that we were going to be talking a little bit about, um, during these weeks between Pesach and Shavuot, about the Sfirat Omer and this particular week, which is governed by the attribute of Tiferet. Tiferet or Tiferes, which um, is usually translated as beauty, Tiferes, but really, if we think about it in terms of what our mystical sages wanted us to understand about Tiferes, it is probably better translated as compassion. One of the things that we've got to try and bring into our souls and into our lives is not just a feeling of kindness and not just a feeling of severity, um, the two attributes in the past two weeks, but this attribute of Tiferes, which means compassion. Compassion is um, a very big one um, in our um, working with other people and in our involvement with things that have to do with our lives and the world around us because it is not always the um, right or seemingly correct or perhaps politically correct posture to be compassionate when somebody is being vilified, somebody is uh, being made to uh, – pay for their crimes or for things that they've done wrong and so on, to be a little bit compassionate with um, somebody is not always the popular choice and um, to show that compassion. But once again, that compassion that we do show, whether it is for those who, uh, where it's a popular uh, compassionate um, outpouring or whether it's an unpopular one, that um, outpouring of compassion and being compassionate with all people is a godly attribute and it's something that we have within our souls, but it is something that we have to temper. We have to make sure that it is correct, that it's appropriate, that it's right, because being compassionate to somebody can somebody can sometimes turn us into uh, being people who are either condescending or um, placing ourselves above them. Compassion can be sometimes used in a negative sense in that we try to dominate that person, try to take over their lives, um, try to turn them into everything that they do not want to be. And um, our compassion um, <coughs> is some. <coughs> Our compassion is sometimes self-serving. It is sometimes something that we use to make ourselves great. And we've got to be careful of that. We also need to make sure that our compassion is consistent. And if we think about today's sphera, if we think about the uh, words that you'll see in the small print next to the counting of the Omer for today, it is probably best termed as um, or translated from Netzach of Tiferet, probably endurance in compassion. And that is that our compassion needs to endure. Our compassion can't be fly by night. We can't be compassionate one day and tomorrow when we feel like it and not be compassionate. We've got to be consistent in compassion. In compassion, We've got to make sure that there is a consistency, that it's kept up, that we are always compassionate, that we always have and always will spare somebody the time of day. Compassion doesn't necessarily only mean that we pity uh, somebody that we take them kind of under our wing and um, uh, foster them and look after them and care for them and so on. That's not the only sense of compassion. Compassion sometimes um, can be simply um, showing somebody 
um, sympathy when they need the sympathy, showing somebody a kindness when they need that kindness, and um, being compassionate and showing that we are willing to defend those who need some kind of defense, help those who need some kind of help, and just generally be compassionate even with those who we think or society thinks do not deserve that compassion at all. So something that we need to integrate into our lives. Well, when we think about um, all these firot, it got me thinking during this past week and particularly on Shabbat, that past, where we read through um, all of the rules of kashrut. And um, when we think about the rules of kashrut and the different signs of the different um, animals, birds and fish, we come across a number of um, fascinating and very, very important uh, comments and remarks made by our sages in terms of the character traits of the the different animals and therefore the things that we've got to learn from those who we are permitted to ingest and learn from those that we are not permitted to ingest. Now, if we take a careful look at um, sagely advice through the ages, what immediately springs to mind is something that is mentioned in a great classic Chabad work called Hayom Yom for today, where uh, today's Hayom Yom tells us that um, we have to learn even from the negative character traits that we see around us. For instance, we've got to learn even from a thief. If uh, we think about a thief or a robber um, who is about to break into a building, God forbid, or into into a home, uh, we have the uh, various different things that we can learn from him. And some of them include the fact that um, he will keep on trying. He doesn't give up easily. Secondly, that he does things quietly and without a big fanfare. He certainly doesn't want to attract attention to himself. Um, another one is that he has alacrity. Another one is that um, he is not um, um, he's not put off by um, any stumbling blocks that might be put in his way. There are so many things that can be learned from any individual and our sages point out that we can learn these character traits from the various animals and the various creatures and the various things that we may or we may not eat. We've got to remember that this is not the reason why we are not allowed to eat certain animals or creatures and it's not a reason why we are permitted to eat some because ultimately um, the Torah has myriads of different reasons and not all of them are that logical, not all of them are that well explained. But the fact that many sages went out of their way to pinpoint various different character traits that are found or that are spelled out by some of the creatures that we may or may not eat is in and of itself both fascinating as well as um, a tremendous limud, something that we can learn a tremendous amount from in our application and in our uh, way forward and in our lives in general. There is so much that we can learn. There is so much that we can teach ourselves and that we can pick up from these various different creatures and animals that it then starts making a tremendous amount of more sense in our lives as to why we may or we may not ingest them. We may not eat them because ultimately they become part and parcel of us. They affect our souls and we can and we could 
um, take on those character traits, the good from the ones that we are permitted to eat, and of course the bad from the ones that we are not permitted to eat. And therefore, it will be um, for uh, the rest of today's show a, a little bit of a an interesting uh, introspection into different um, uh, creatures, some of which are uh, well known, some of which are spelled out specifically in the Torah, some of which uh, we have to do a little bit of thinking as to why um, and what those creatures actually represent, and perhaps then to extrapolate from there why it is that we are permitted to eat those that we are and not permitted to eat those that we aren't. Now, Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood has the following specials valid until the 22nd of April 2018. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Aloha. Hi and welcome back. Yes, it's that time of a cappella music um, during the Sphira period. Um, so, therefore, music toned down, music that is... Human voice only, not instrumental, and uh, we thank High FM for honouring that and uh, playing along uh, with us. That uh, we don't listen to instrumental music during this period of time, as a sign of the mourning that we are in um, for the duration of the Svira period. Different customs um, pertaining to this period of time, but of course everybody recognizing that it was during this period that the students of Rabbi Akiva perished, and uh, being that so many of them, and how different the world could have been or would have been had they not perished, um, was uh, something that made this period of time mirror and um, be overshadowed by a feeling of mourning, of toning things down, no weddings permitted, etc., um, during this period of time as well. Now, when we um, move forward and think about the character traits that we should or should not pick up from things that are positive or negative, we said we we're going to be looking at a few that were mentioned in the Parsha this last week, not directly, of course, but um, things that our sages comment on, and therefore we start picking up, we start tuning into and understanding um, various different character traits that we should or should not absorb, we should not take on board, or we should take on board from those things that we can um, or cannot eat. One of them that I found particularly fascinating is um, actually juxtaposed with another um, uh, creature that... Um, has a very, very different um, um, view and a very different set of circumstances. And um, it's pointed out, if we take a look at the birds that we are allowed to eat and that we're not allowed to eat, one of the birds that we're not allowed to eat is mentioned specifically as the orave. Now, we've met up with this creature before. The orave is the, the raven. The raven we met up with in the Parsha all about Noah and the flood was the bird that Noah picked first to send out of the ark. And uh, it flew around for a while, came back to the ark, and Noah, Noah knew that the waters had not subsided. We're told to stay away from the raven. Do not eat the raven or any of its kind, says the Torah. The orave is forbidden. And the Talmud has a very, very interesting insight into this. Uh, the Gemara, the Talmud, tells us a fascinating story about what happened with the raven. Well, it says that when the raven was first picked by Noah to be sent out of the ark, 
it objected. It said, the proverbial, why me? But it went further. It said, God hated us, or hates us, and so do you, Noah. The raven, um, and obviously Noah, had uh, become in tune with um, all the creatures, all the animals. Um, He understood them. He could speak their languages um, and so on. And it objected. And the objection was that God hates us and you hate us. And why? Because God deemed that it should only be two of us, me and my partner, male and female, that were placed on this ark. If I fly out and anything happens to me while I'm out there, Um, My partner will be left here alone on earth and uh, we will become extinct. There'll be no way of us uh, being able to reproduce and there'll be no more ravens on earth. So actually, you are taking a chance with me by sending me out here um, and it shows, it proves how much you hate us. You hate me and you want to get rid of me um, (coughs) and you're going to do this and send me out. Well, what happened was uh, Noah persisted and insisted, and out went the raven. It flew around, but now as it flew around, it um, suddenly realized that once it was out of the ark, it could have a delight that it hadn't had all the time that it was in the ark. So it had been starved of what it did best, which was to pick at the carrion, at the meat of um, of an animal, of a carcass, that may have been, that could have been, that was left um, lying um, in the flood waters or on the ground. And um, here was a golden opportunity. It was sent out of the ark and it went in search of some meat. It went in search of some prey that it could swoop down on and um, that it could eat to its heart's delight. Um, it had this lust, this desire for eating that meat. And it eventually did find um carrion it found some uh, a carcass that was perhaps floating in the water it swooped down and it began to pick away at uh, this badly decomposed or decaying uh, carcass and that it managed to find but it delighted in the fact that it managed to eat its full and once it had eaten its full it flew back to the ark empty beaked empty handed it had filled itself but it couldn't have cared less about its partner or about anybody else or anything else, any other creature that was left on the ark. And it came back with nothing. The Midrash goes on and tells us that this character trait, therefore, was one of absolute selfishness. It was a character, the raven, who cares only about filling its own stomach, who cares only about its own delights and its own pleasures and really couldn't give two hoots Never mind for every other creature, but even for its partner, even for the same of its same kind that was uh, there and waiting for it patiently on the ark. He really wasn't objecting to uh, the mission. He really wasn't objecting to um, the uh, fact that Noah had sent him out, but all he was really objecting to was the fact that he was being um, set out and the only thing that it had on its mind was Number one, self, self-preservation, total selfishness. This was Mr. Raven. The second bird that was sent out from the ark was, of course, the dove. Noah, Noach, sends out the dove. The dove 
comes back, as we well know, in that uh, beautiful image of the dove returning with something. What does it find? It finds the twig, a leaf of an olive branch, an olive tree, and it comes back with that, presents that to Noah, to Noah, to Noah, Noah, and it becomes then the symbol, the dove with that olive branch, uh, becomes the symbol of peace. And why the symbol of peace? Because it is the idea, the sign, that it cared. It cared enough to come back, if you think about it. It could have stayed out there, nested in that tree, but it didn't. It brought back a sign of life, and it brought back a sign of peace, and it brought back a sign that as God had made peace with earth and man um, was being set on a new path uh, to make peace with God, it was a symbol of caring. It came back and it wanted to show others that there was hope. It wanted to bring a message of hope, of salvation, of a future, and of peace to all those that it had left behind. And therefore, says the Torah, the dove will be a kosher bird. It will be one that you may eat from. And the raven is not. And why? Because the raven proved its bad character traits. It proved that it was completely and absolutely selfish, while the dove proved just how selfless it actually was, how much it cared for community, how much it cared for others. And of course, when we eat or when we abstain from eating things that we're not permitted to eat, we don't think about the fact that that is something that is going to give me bad character traits. And certainly that is not what the Torah tells us. But there are all of these hidden messages and all of these call them side benefits and all of these ideas and ideals but within that it teaches us a tremendous amount about what is expected from us we are expected not to be like the raven we're expected not to be selfish we're expected not to only be looking out for number one we're expected to be selfless caring for our communities caring for each other making sure that we live up to that statement uh, made by hillel um, that if you really want to capture what the Torah is all about, it is all about It is all about not doing to your fellow man what you would not want him to do to you, caring about other people. And when we do that, we are then fulfilling the Klal Gadol Torah, what the Torah is really all about, which is to be a selfless person, to be a giving individual, to be concerned for others, to making sure that our community and those around us, our families, our relationships and so on, are of such paramount importance. We dare not become the selfish, um, um, self-centered and self-fulfilling kind of people. When we go on and we think about <coughs> excuse me, some of the other characters, that uh, we meet up in the animal or bird or fish kingdom that we may or we may not eat, we may not ingest. Um, the one that seems to get the worst rap of all um, and is always the symbol of non-kosher, of course, is the chazir, is the pig. Is he really the worst of the lot? Is he really worse than... Um, any of the other animals that are mentioned as being not kosher? Well, when we put it under the spotlight and we investigate just a little bit deeper, we start seeing some very, very fascinating things that emerge about this Chazir. First of all, he is mentioned by name. Now, in the bird kingdom, that is quite common. 
um, as you would have seen in the parasha this last week, the birds, the various families and the various birds are mentioned by name. We may not know exactly what those names are or which birds they are today, but there are a list of names. And then we kind of told, well, at the end of it all, you can eat anything else. And we know that we're left with a few of the domestic birds that we are entitled to eat. But when we come to animals, we're told to look for two signs. And the two signs are Number one, that the animal needs to have a split hoof, which means a hoof that is split all the way through. And number two is that the animal has to chew the cud. It has to have a multiple stomach system that it regurgitates the food that it has swallowed into the first stomach and then digests it going through into the next stomach. So the multiple stomach system and the split hoof are the two character traits of a kosher animal or an animal that we are permitted to eat, an animal that has what I like to call kashrut potential because it's not kosher as it is, but it becomes kosher when we have correctly slaughtered it, when we have uh, salted and soaked it and treated its meat in order to remove the blood and so on, um, then it becomes kosher. So we've got um, these two um, characteristics of kosher animals. When it comes to those that have only one of the two, we're highlighted and they are described by name where um, the Torah wants us to be aware of the fact that there are certain species that have one of the two characteristics, but not both. And the Torah goes on to enumerate and to tell us about four. There are only four creatures that have one and not the other characteristic of kosher animals. Those four are Loosely described and loosely translated, perhaps it's not 100% accurate, but let's go. The camel, the rock badger, and the rabbit or the hare, those three are in a category together. They all have a multiple stomach system. They do have the chewing of the cud characteristic, but they do not have the split hoof. They don't have the cloven hoof, and therefore, says Torah, watch out for them. They may present as being a little more kosher than the other animals, but they don't have both, and therefore be careful of them. The fourth one, and by the way, science and history has never found a fifth, so the Torah expounds upon the fact that there are only four, and there are only four, nobody has ever proved or found another one. The fourth one, in a category all of his lonesome, is the pig, the chazir. The chazir has a split hoof, but he does not have a multiple stomach. He does not chew the cud, but he does have a split hoof. And the split hoof is an outward sign. And our sages point out something fascinating about the pig. It tells us about the pig, the chazir, that he not only only has the one sign and he's in a category all of his own, but it's an outward sign. And it's not only an outward sign, but it's a sign that he continually demonstrates. We're told that the pig and uh, those who are experts in this field, I think, will back this up, that when a pig lies down to sleep... It always has its hooves showing. It doesn't tuck them in underneath him like some animals do. It will always demonstrate and always show off its hooves. So what is it doing? Um, Spiritually speaking, it is telling you, look, take a look at me on the outside. I am kosher. I'm good. I'm wonderful. And only when you investigate deeper and you go inside do you realize that he doesn't chew the cud. So he's got the outer trimming, trimmings and trappings of being wonderful, of being good, of being correct, of being right. But when you do a little bit of a deeper investigation, you realize just how rotten he actually is. And you realize 
That is just a pig. So the Chazir, and there are many people who refrain from even using the name pig um, because it's regarded in uh, Jewish, good Jewish thinking as being uh, not just infradig, but being completely incorrect. And you, we try and teach our children, don't even mention that name because it represents such a negative character trait. It's not just about this particular animal that we're not allowed to eat, but it's deceptive. It is pretend. It tells you on the outside how good it is. But when you get on the inside, you realize just how bad it actually is. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, I guess uh, that is the problem with a cappella music, that um, some of it is worse than others. But uh, <clears throat> I guess it's the best we can do in this uh, period of time. Um, hope uh, wasn't too difficult for the ears. Anyway, we're moving on with our um, rest of our uh, program today where we're talking about the various different character traits that we're supposed to take upon ourselves. Yes, we thought about and we spoke about during the Sphira period, during this time of Sphira Ta'omer, that um, each day there is something in our character and our spiritual uh, lives that we need to try and work on and we need to try and improve to make sapir, to make sapphire, to make it shine, uh, to make it sparkle. And, uh, of course, mentioning the character trait of this week, compassion. When we think about um, some of the creatures, some of the animals that we may or we may not eat, and, of course, um, all of this comes under the spotlight, as it has been over the last few months here in Johannesburg, with um, various different things that have emerged over this period of time um, in um, the field of kashrut and the things that we may or may not eat, um, how appropriate that... Uh, after Pesach, we reinvestigate and we relook at our attitudes in Kashrut as well. And of course, everywhere um, in Judaism, we got to be talking about character development, the idea of learning and growing and improving. And um, Torah's whole mission is uh, not just about character development, but it is a big part of how we are supposed to develop our characters, how we're supposed to be working on them. And, of course, then taking upon ourselves and ingesting and imbibing and um, allowing the uh, strong character traits of positive things to influence us and allowing the negative ones to be repelled, um, to not be consumed and to not become ingested and to be not to become part and parcel of our behaviors and the things that we do. It's all about um, living a better life and it's all about making a better world um, for all of us to enjoy and for all of us to live in. So let's uh, then move on to a further example. Well, there is a bird that is called a chasida. Now, it's a strange name for a bird because a bird called a chasida has a beautiful name. Chasid, chasida, the word chesed is embedded within it. Kindness. So what is a chasida and why is a chasida not kosher? Why are we not allowed to eat the chasida? Well, the chasida is translated as being the stork. Now, we have a fond uh, association with a stork. Isn't that the one that brings uh, the baby? Isn't that the one that was the image of um, uh, children, of babies being born and so on? Well, where that all came from is not what uh, um, some of our sages have to say about the Hasidah, but they tell us that it's an interesting character in that the Hasidah gets its name from Chesed. It does kindness. But its kindness is limited. 
It does a kindness that is limited just to its own kind. It will not do a kindness to anybody else, to any other species. It will not help. It will not feed. It will not be concerned for any other other than its own species. It is completely self-absorbed within its own family, within its own environment, and will not reach out to anybody who doesn't quite fit into that mold, and therefore regarded as being a negative character trait. It is something, once again, that presents well, looks good, chesed, kindness. But chesed, kindness, really cannot and should not only be reserved for yourself, for your own immediate family. It is something that should be shared, that um, not only with you, the people around you and the community around you, but with all mankind, we need to be able to show that kind of chesed, that kind of kindness. When we think about um, the um, other animals, the other character traits that we should or should not take upon ourselves, well, there are myriads upon myriads of them. There are so many different comments and so many different things that we can learn from all the creatures that we can or we cannot eat. Um, And, of course, it is all about our own character refinement and the way we interact with the world. Be back with you to sum up right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. We're going to end off today with one that is fascinating because it seems to be a borderline sort of a case, and that is what about Turkey? You know, if you travel today to um, to Israel, um, probably one of the most popular um, meats that you can get in Israel, kosher, of course, is turkey. And yet there are a whole group of people who refuse to eat turkey uh, for what seems to be a kashrut reason. Well, it's actually a very, very fascinating story. There was a great sage by the name of the Shalah, a rabbi Hurwitz or Horowitz, who was a levy and who um, uh, said that he didn't want his family to eat from that animal, that creature, that bird, that turkey. And the reason was, according to um, the uh, fascinating history of the Shalor was that he once walked past a farmyard and he saw two turkeys engaged in a fight and there was a viciousness. There was a viciousness that um, came out of one turkey against another and he therefore said, I don't want my children, it may be a kosher bird, but I don't want my children, my family to take on or to have an inkling, a smattering, um, a, a tiny little molecule of that kind of attitude of viciousness, a ferocious attack upon its own um, that he saw Turkey making. And in fact, this is filtered through um, hundreds of years later, decades later, many, uh, many, many moons later. It has filtered through to today where you do have a lot of people, very often people by the name of Hurwitz or Horowitz or um, uh, Klein, um, many people uh, predominantly from the Levium, the Levy tribe of uh, our people who uh, refuse till today as a family tradition not to eat turkey. Now, what does it all mean if we think about everything that we've spoken about up until now is that um, we know that kashrut is something that the Torah tells us. We are not allowed to eat certain animals. We may eat certain others. We're not allowed to eat certain fish. We may eat certain others. We're not allowed to eat certain birds. We may eat certain others and so on. 
Um, nowhere does it actually say that these are the reasons. However, once we start unpacking it and once we start looking at it, there have been certain great sages who have pointed out that there are some very, very negative character traits that we do not want to pick up from these creatures, these birds, these fish, these animals. And there are some very positive ones that we do want to pick up from those that we are permitted to, to eat. So eating is something that we have to do. It's an animal uh, need. It is something that has to be done in order to sustain ourselves. We do put the right emphasis on it because we make sure that things that we eat are not only kosher, but that we treat them correctly, that we make sure that they are consumed in the right fashion. We're not supposed to be gluttonous and devour things in an animalistic kind of a fashion. We've got to make sure that we do that all um, within the uh, the confines of humanity and within the confines of what is regarded as being good mannerliness and uh, um, gentleman and ladylike kind of behavior, of course. And we thank God for them. We make a blessing. We make a bracha before and after we have eaten. All of those things being in place, we still are concerned with the kind of character traits that may be coming through from um, the particular animal as well. And it's a very refined and a very fine um, detail about why it is that we are actually so strict on the things that we eat, the things that we consume on our kashrut um, and so on. So an appeal to everybody during these days, especially following Pesach and especially following all the things that we've heard about and that we've read about and that have been advertised about um, kashrut or lack thereof within certain establishments and certain uh, parts, facets of our beautiful Johannesburg Jewish community. Perhaps it's incumbent upon each and every one of us to think a little bit deeper into our own personal kashrut, um, step it up a little bit, take upon ourselves to do something a little bit more in the realm of kashrut um, within our own homes or without our own homes, um, making sure that we are ourselves observing um, these rules for all the right reasons, rather than making fun of um, the kashrut debacles or difficulties or problems. Let's rather see if there is not a way that we ourselves can adhere to them a little bit more, can uh, live the lives that those kashrut rules in the first place are supposed to make and emblazon upon ourselves as well as upon those around us and in our community per se. And uh, then we would have learned the lessons from the negative behavior. We can learn from the positive behavior, not only of those animals, but of course the people involved in all of these things as well. So I look forward to being back with you in a week from now on Wednesday afternoon, again next week just after two, um, when we talk about things Jewish on Judaism 101.9. Have a great week up ahead, great Shabbat, and look forward to being back with you then. Take care.